Uh, just uh, go ahead and right. introduce yourself and tell us uh, about the registry and how it got started. And Well, my name is Will Wisner. Uh, some people know uh, my full name is Willem, uh, but I go by Will. Uh, I am the creator and founder of the traditional County Corso registry. Uh, I started the concept back in 2014. I approached... Uh, multiple multiple entities, including the CCAA, uh, the uh, ICCF, etc., about the formation of the new registry. Because back in tw- 2014, uh, there was a giant mess going on with courses, and as the years have progressed, it's become an even more of a mess. Um, and the reason I brought up the concept. Uh, you know, originally before I brought the concept of a new registry, I brought the use of DNA as a tool to help uh, control the population and help the registries control the population expansion by eliminating the ability to hang papers, uh, you know, and show uh, good, healthy dogs as well as dogs that are not mixed-bred, you know, and I don't have anything wrong with mixed-bred dogs, but, you know, when you're dealing with a purebred entity like the Connie Corso, this is quote-unquote supposed to be um, and has already been established, you know, it's not going to help when you, in in the early 2000s, you've got people putting in Rottweiler, uh, Neapolitan Mastiff, Boxer, Doggy de Bordeaux, you know, many, many of these breeds that are exterior breed influences that are, you know, you're well past the, uh, uh, how do I put it, the recovery phase. You're well past the recovery phase because in 1988 was the initial U.S. recovery phase. With that being said, you know, when I came out with the concepts, I started, you know, getting all these denials. No, we don't need DNA. We don't need this. You know, we don't need that. You know, and I'm, I'm trying to improve the breed, you know, with these concepts and bringing it to these uh, people's attention, these entities, you know, like the AKC, CCAA, ICCF, bring it to their attention. Hey, look, you know, our, our breed's in a, a deplorable state at the moment. You know, mm-hmm. so we need to do something to better preserve the breed, control the population, as well as, you know, make and hold the breeders to a higher standard. Right. You know, and that was the issue at hand is because we have a lot of breeders out there currently who, if you toss them an extra four or $500, They'll give you full rights on a dog when they clearly know the dog is non-breedable. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm in disagreement with that. I don't think every dog is a breedable dog. Mm-hmm. I don't think every specimen produced is an above quality necessary for breeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that's, that's the ultimate goal uh, of this registration itself is to preserve the prime specimens that are actually breedable specimens and eliminate the ability of 
the individuals to say, hey, look, you know, if you give me extra money, I'll give you a full rights on a dog. Well, with the traditional kind of course of registry, you get a base limited registration that is basically the equivalent of a full AKC registration. Mm -hmm. You can participate at shows, etc., and do all your events and, and, and all that goodies, but you can't breed your dog. You need DNA. We've got to review the dog itself, whether it be via uh, picture documentation uh, or in person. We have all these strict requirements in place in order to obtain breeding rights. And we don't use DNA just solely to judge a dog. We look at the dog as a whole in combination of their DNA, what they test with in their DNA, you know, whether they're they're popping 100%. So we try to eliminate the ability for individuals to hang papers. We try to eliminate the ability for people to say, hey, look, give me X amount, uh, X amount of money and I'll give you full rights. Uh, we're trying to preserve the breed. Um, that is the ultimate end goal is to preserve the dogs in their truest form. I mean, we have a lot of dogs out there that are winning AKC shows that are, uh, you know, they look like another breed. And it specifically stated, it states in a lot of the standards, the breed is not supposed to look like another breed. It's got its own distinct look. I mean, that's just like the boxer. It has a different look than a German Shepherd. You know, I shouldn't look at a Corso and automatically be reminded, hey, look, that likes, it looks like a boxer or an English Mastiff or a Bulldog. You know, plain and simple. I mean, that's how I feel on that mm -hmm. is... The Corso has its own distinct look. It's got its own distinct temperament. It's got its own distinct personality that is completely different of other breeds. Mm -hmm. And in the long run, preservation is the ultimate goal uh, with quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. We want people to hold themselves to the highest standard and start with producing higher quality dogs that have proven temperament, brains, workability, and multifunctional personalities. Mm -hmm. You know, and when I say multifunctional personalities, I'm talking, uh, they can perform multifunctional tasks, i.e. you've got a dog that's doing IPO and tracking uh, or uh, Schutzen or Cal with tracking and, and, and performing multiple multiple funds. Mm -hmm. Yes, the difference in the in the full registration is you have a, you've already submitted your DNA. Mm -hmm. You've already passed all of our requirements. Your dog meets all of the requirements uh, that we set forth that we deem the dog is breedable. Mm -hmm. Therefore, uh, the only difference between the limited registration and the full registration is the fact you're able to breed your dog. Mm -hmm. All right, if you take a look at the AKC. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you have a limited rate registration through the AKC, mm -hmm. you can't participate with your dog in events. Okay. Other, it's very limited participation. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody never submits their DNA, they, they, their, is their limited registration uh, null and void, or they just stay in that uh, status? They stay in that limbo status. Mm -hmm. I mean, they stay in a... Uh, 
limited registration. And if they ever do breed their dog, I mean, uh, they can go ahead and breed their dog. We can't stop them from breeding their dog. But as far as registering with our entity, they wouldn't be able to register the litter with our entity because they didn't follow the proper steps. Right. Um, and even then, if they were to submit their DNA and we were to go over their dog, judge their dog and do our assessment and their dog passes only then would they get, you get that i mean and then they could potentially backdate their their uh litter registration uh -huh. you know mm -hmm. but fact remains is is they didn't follow the proper protocols to begin with i mean so they're they're going to be heavily scrutinized on that you know and with that aspect we're going to have open events um multiple times throughout the uh, uh, the year mm -hmm. where people can show up with their dog and we'll either do an on-site assessment or they can submit uh, the picture uh, picture requirements, which is seven photos, three of the head, left, right, front, and then uh, four of the body, which is uh, all around, left, right, front, and rear. So we can see the entire dog as a whole, see what it looks like, you know, mm -hmm. um, not everybody is a professional picture taker, but we're going to get to see dogs both in their natural form as well as um, stacked form, you know, because there are quite a few professional breeders out, out there that, you know, are breeder handlers. So they know how to stack their dog and make their dog look presentable. Um, but when if we uh, at these events, when we get to see the dogs in person, we get to see their dog or the dogs in a raw form. Mm -hmm. You know, we get to see how these dogs move. Uh, we get to see how the dog's body structure is. You know, we'll get to see the slightest imperfections where, you know, in a photo, they might not be readily easily seen. Mm -hmm. It's very similar to how the original South African Borable Registry is run. They do a scoring system on a percentile base. Mm -hmm. If your dog is 75% 75, 75 or higher on their assessment, by their judge, and, and it's an in-person assessment uh, where we'll show up, they'll, they'll pay their fees, and the judge will look at that dog and say, okay, yeah, I'm going to give it a score of, we'll say, 82%, you know, and that's how they obtain their breeding. Mm -hmm. It's the same concept. I mean, that is how the South African Border Registry controls their populations. You know, they, and... To me, that is a really genius idea because they're taking it a step further and saying, okay, we really don't want this breed ruined, and that's why we're doing this. Mm -hmm. You know, and everybody, uh, I noticed there's a lot of, a lot of issues uh, with individuals are really against the use of DNA. Oh, it's inaccurate. Well you got to take a look at the, uh, the the baseline. Okay, everybody says, oh, well, the baseline is inaccurate. How, how do we know uh, what dogs, everybody wants to know what dogs were used in the initial baseline, uh, especially with Embark, the entity that we're recommending to be used and requiring to be used. Uh, well, we want to know what dogs were used in the baseline. We think the baseline is jacked up, you know, because there's dogs looking like other breeds that are testing 100%. Well, there's few and far dogs in between that I'm seeing with this look and I'm seeing the official test results on like people are saying the dogs are testing hundred percent, but not providing the actual documentation to back up that. Okay. And when sometimes 
when they do provide, when some of these individuals do provide it, it's through another party. It's not in part specific. It's, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of submissions of the wisdom panel uh, DNA test. And to touch base on, a, on the DNA, just just a hair. Wisdom panel only tw- tests 1,200 points uh, on a chromosome, mm-hmm. while art tests 200,000 points. Mm-hmm. Okay, That is a huge difference. So I would expect a huge difference in results from wisdom panel to Embark. Mm-hmm. I would anticipate Embark to be more accurate because they have a better testing regime. They test more. They also test more health, uh, health-wise. And here's the different, uh, major, major difference between Embark versus Wisdom Panel. Mm-hmm. Embark is sponsored by Cornell University of Veterinary Medicine mm-hmm. and an accredited veterinary institute. So to me, that says, hey, look, you know, I, uh, they want to be as reputable as possible. And they want to be as accurate as possible because over the last few years, they've made leaps and bounds with many different breeds and discovering things. Like prime example, they discovered why huskies are born with blue eyes. I mean, we all know it's a color, uh, 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 a color allele genetic in, in, in the eye spectrum, mm-hmm. but they discovered why obsessive gene is passed on. Mm-hmm. All right, another prime example in, in using an accredited institution all right if you take a look at the university of helsinki who did an idiopathic genome research study on the belgian shepherd they were actually able to isolate the location of the idiopathic epilepsy genome in the belgian shepherd in chromosome 37 so how i feel about wisdom panel versus embark ties into that because they have more standing because they're using accredited university okay as they're backing that's how they test is everything is all done at the university of cornell you know i'd rather have vet techs or genetics techs testing my product versus some human lab Mm -hmm. that doesn't know squat animal dna Right. It, to me, that makes more sense. Uh, you know, and as far as the uh, the difference between the, the limited registration and the full registration is, is you know, it's the breeding rights. Mm-hmm. They both have the same, same functional qualities. Just, all right, prime example. All right, I've got a dog that isn't DNA. Okay, we're using this as an example. I don't feel right now she's breedable yet. However, you know, I've registered her with the re- uh, registry. I've done many different trials with her. I've done all these X and X titles with her. And now I feel she's breedable, so I'm going to submit all the documentation that's necessary. And I'm going to have that limited registration overturned into a, a uh, full registration and then start breeding if she passes the examinations. You know, that is another perk is because now, I, you know, I can go ahead and work my dog 
maybe potentially get some titles on my dog. And if I feel she doesn't cut the mustard, I don't have to register her as a full registration. I could keep her as a permanent registration. And if I ever sell the dog or put the dog in another kennel or another home, you know, I don't have to worry about that dog having that breedable right with it because then I don't have to worry about the individual that I place the dog with doing the wrong thing. Right. You know, that is, the concept is to hold breeders accountable for their actions. Uh, hold the, uh, the registrations, other registration entities accountable for their actions because uh, there's really no uh, stopping a breeder from giving a full registration on a dog. Mm -hmm. If you take a look at AKC and ICCF, I mean, yeah, they've got the ability to for a breeder to restrict that, but as we know, and it's already been proven many times, I've seen many ads where, hey, look, limited registration is X amount of dollars, full registration is this, and then the dog, they get the dog, they champion it out at six, 12 months, by the time the dog is 24 months, the dog is completely whack. But yet it's a champion, it's got full breeding rights, they're breeding the piss out of it, and producing more crappy looking dogs. You know, that is that is our biggest fight right now, is we want breeders held accountable for their actions, and we want other registrations held accountable for their actions. And, and or, or lack of action mm -hmm. thereas. Mm -hmm. We do have a major mentor of the club, actually mentors. Um, I originally approached Linda Sanino, which was one of the U.S. Uh, histor historical foundation breeders, uh, aside from Mike Satilli. Um, I approached her with our breed standard. I asked her to go, I asked her to go over it. She did. Uh, revamped it some, tweaked it up. And then we took it a step further after that revamping, and I spent many, many months uh, developing a rapport with Sunny St. Rose first, and then spent many months developing a rapport with Kenneth James, who in turn allowed us to communicate with Dr. Flavia Bruno, one of the uh, worldwide known historical preservationists and breed historians. And we brought our concept idea to Flavio, Dr. Bruno, and he approved everything. He goes, I support this, and that is, you know, when we knew we were doing the right thing, you know, when we got a historical preservationist on board that is older than the, the U.S. base uh, of 1988, per se, we don't have a parent club. Our great standard comprises of some of the original FCI standards, the FIC standard, which was the first Corso registry in the U.S. that is no longer in existence. Okay. The next oldest is the ICCF, and then we took uh, the AKC and UKC standards, and we reviewed all of this documentation and spent about 12 hours writing our own standard comprising uh, of bits and pieces of each of these documents. Is the ICCF uh, connected to the AKC in any way? 
Uh, currently, uh, no. Uh, there is a giant power struggle currently between the Saatchi entity, which is the Society in America for County Corso International, then, uh, okay, this is how this is working right now. You have Saatchi in the U.S., ICCF in the U.S., CCAA in the U.S., which is County Corso Association of America, which is the parent club for the AKC. Okay. Saatchi is the parent club for UKC, Okay. We have a giant power struggle between the ICCF, Saatchi, and CCAA. Okay. The v- VP of CCAA is Tony Scandi, Anthony Scandi. He is the creator of the Scandifio bloodlines. The president of the CCAA is Re- Rebecca Samansky. Her husband is Anthony Samansky, the president of Saatchi Society in America for County Corso International. And then you got all these people comprised. I mean, it's a giant feud right now between these three entities on the new revision of AKC's breach standard done by previous uh, board members of the CCAA. I mean, it's just a giant three-ring circus. Uh, There are uh, the board meeting minutes posted on, on a couple of different forums and uh, of the CCAA's board meeting uh, from December. And I tell you what, it is atrocious. Absolutely atrocious on how these people conduct themselves. Uh, you got people feuding with an, uh, one another, uh, fingers pointing at one another, and lots of slanderous things being said back and forth. Uh, I mean, it's it's like it's an all-out attack on, on all the board members. You know, uh, one board member is attacking another, vice versa. I mean, and it, it's just, a, it looks like a giant three-ring monkey circus. Mm-hmm. And if they can't collectively work together, they're never going to be able to do anything for the breed. Because it's just going to be a giant feud constantly. And that's not what the breed needs right now. The breed needs the entire community to pull together, which is what our ultimate goal is, is for the entire community to pull together and say, no, it's time to take a stand. We need to tell breeders, hey, look, you know, you really can't do this. You think you've got a show quality dog. You sell it as a show quality dog. You don't honor your agreements or vice versa. Your dog, the dog ends up turning out not to be show quality. And these individuals out there, they pay for a show quality dog and they get stiffed, you know, and none of these organizations are policing their breeders. Uh, there are several influential breeders out there that have mixed bred other breeds into the dog, namely the Rottweiler, uh, Boxer, uh, uh, English Mastiff, uh, Neapolitan Mastiff, um, you know, with all these breeds in there, and nothing has ever been done about that. Oh, that happened in the past, uh, they've changed their tune. No, 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 no. That caused a major detriment to the breed because they sold all of those dogs off of that with hung papers so you know i mean it'd be a fine time for them to tell the truth so we know how to fix what is currently 
some of the major issues, you know, with osteosarcoma, uh, the heart and kidney issues, uh, the idiopathic epilepsy. And you got a lot of people screaming that the idiopathic epilepsy come from boxer. Well, boxer is not the only breed that's predisposition for idiopathic epilepsy. You've got the boxer, the Rottweiler, um, the DDB. Um, sometimes uh, certain bloodlines of English Mastiff have it as well. I mean, so, I mean, it's, it's a matter of establishing what was done in the past so we can correct it and provide a better future for the course of, and clean up these current issues, you know, because there's no reason for us to completely start from scratch and basically create a whole new breed. The breed's already an established breed. You just got to be a little bit more careful about how you breed, what lines you use, etc. You know, let's say any, any goal, any goal for any breeder should be to better the next generation, not cause a detriment. What would you say the best lines are here in the United States right now? In the U.S.? Yeah. You know, it really depends. It really does depend. Uh, a lot of U.S. lines stem from the 1988 importation of the Super 6. And there's a giant rumor mill going around that the Super 6 were not true courses. And, that, and in fact, actuality, they're saying um, and evidence is slowly starting to prove that the dogs were actually Neapolitan Rottweiler hybrids. Mm -hmm. However, these dogs are not around for us to actually DNA and provide actual evidence that this is going on. Mm -hmm. However, you know, some of the dogs from uh, these foundation breeders, you know, are popping positive with these exterior breeds. So I would venture to say some of the dogs that do not have Alaric bloodlines are better than most. Um, I know there are several breeders in the U.S. who solely import because of this, uh, one of them being uh, White House, Connie Corso, or Shepherds. Uh, they've got some decent dogs, uh, but I, I don't promote them, uh, but they do have decent dogs. Another individual out there is Conigliolo. Uh, they do a lot of importation uh, now from Italy. Uh, they they have some really decent dogs. Um, I know uh, Reggie Ironstone has got some really decent dogs. He's uh, importing, uh, but I myself try to avoid looking at American dogs. Mm -hmm. I look more at dogs specifically from Italy. Uh, from lesser-known breeders um, that are not how do I, mainstream breeders is what I would put it I would put the term as. I don't look at mainstream breeders because that's where I find most of the issues coming from are mainstream breeders. So I look at smaller-time breeders that don't have a huge name out there, but they, they have somewhat of a, a minor name. And like prime example, uh, I have two imports from Olivia Mento de Casa de Marziali, uh, which is Maurizio Marziali uh, in Italy. And they're phenomenal dogs, absolutely phenomenal dogs in type, temperament, 
uh, very uh, traditional in features. Uh, they resemble all the dogs from many, many, many years ago. And that's what I look for. I look for a specific character type. I look for a specific ter- temperament type, uh, specific personalities. Uh, brains is, is absolutely key with, with my particular kennel. Um, I have in my kennel right now one sole American dog and then one Serbian American line dog. The rest of my dogs are all Italian import. So to answer your question, there are only a handful of American breeders that I would trust to buy dogs from. Mm -hmm. I only trust a handful of import breeders because they're very honest, uh, you know, and that's one of the biggest key factors of a breeder in my rapport um, is their honesty. They don't hide what they do. They are open up front. Hey, look, you know, in X generation, there's this dog in there. There's that dog. You know, they're open and honest about what they do. Mm-hmm. And that is where I find the most truest dogs come from are those individuals that don't hide what they've done in the past and they're opening up front and say, Hey, look, you know, I included a mezzo corso in this breeding and six generations back, you know, uh, or I did this X amount of generations back, you know, they're being open front up front and honest. Mm-hmm. And that's, that to me speaks more volumes that, okay, all right, if I have this in my bloodlines in such and such generation, I need to look, and see how I'm going to breed that dog to either develop a specific characteristics or traits or brains, temperament, and combine it appropriately with another dog in order to produce a better generation than what I currently have. Mm Well, the breed uh, breed history, all right, uh, there is well-known misnomer that the Cunic Corso is the original Roman war dog, when in fact it's not, okay? The original Roman war dog was the Canis Pugnax, and if you look at the historical documentation, uh, as the Roman army was spreading out, uh, Caesar, many different Caesars started bringing in different dogs, and combining them with a Canis Pugnax. And one of them being the, the uh, Mastino Britanni, the British Mastiff, mm-hmm. uh, to help produce better war dogs. And, and in turn, down line came the Cane Corso. All right. There is multiple documentations all the way back to the 20s that I have found for the Cane Corso breed. Um, if you look at the NC standard uh, from the 1960s on the Neapolitan Mastiff, uh, there's a little documentation out there that says Neapolitan Mastino and Cane Corso. Mm-hmm. Right there at the top of the NC documentations, signed by Marzani. So, there's NC documentation all the way back to the 60s on breed recognition. Now, the official recognition didn't happen until 92, 94 uh, by Enchi, mm-hmm. but there's documentation prior to that as well as registration prior to that. 
Um, in fact, uh, I have two particular dogs that have bloodlines that stem all the way to 1960. Uh, documented dogs, including Wyoming, uh, which was the official template for the Neapolitan Mastiff. So, as far as the historical aspect on the Connie Corso, I'd venture to say it's it's a good 100 years old or better. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for this particular breed, uh, it's a very prevalent breed in guardianship, uh, herding, or droving. Uh, it really depends on the bloodlines, on the herding aspect, because it's uh, to have an appropriate herder, you would need they would have to have the capability of actually following instruction on herding, uh, while versus the drover keeps the cattle or sheep or whatever animal goats uh, in a tight-knit form, i.e. like in a enclosed area in a circle to keep to keep them uh, penned together mm-hmm. and close together is what a drover would be. Like uh, when you're going to market, they're going to keep the animals together as you're driving the dogs to the market for sale. Um, the dogs had a... Uh, Prime example, uh, for the County Corso, the larger dogs were considered Mastino type. Therefore, they were used in more property guardianship type roles uh, because they were larger, uh, more formidable, uh, more uh, defensive. Uh, And then you have your, your lighter types used in hunting and herding. And I personally use my dogs for hunting. Uh, uh, they're very efficient with, uh, with help in predator eradication because I do a lot of coyote hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, but because my area is not prevalent with hogs, I do not hog hunt in my area. Uh, however, if I had the capabilities and the population to do that with, I would be using my dogs for hog hunting as well. Mm-hmm. If you take a look at some of the other historical documentation, all right, you never used a dark dog at night for night hunts uh, when they were out hunting uh, more nocturnal species, you know, like hogs and stuff, they used lighter colored animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the Formentino and then the, the less common Frumentino, which is a very, very, very uh, non-common color. Uh, it is a heavy cream dilution that looks white. Mm-hmm. Um, another, another key aspect, uh, in historical documentation, the tails were docked one-third the length, and that was for grasping the dog uh, when the dog went in a hole after badgers. Um, they were they were heavily used in badger hunting, uh, and they would grab the dogs by the tail in order to pull them out of the hole. Um, there's many documents with this historical information on there. Um, some of this documentation is NG certified as well. Mm-hmm. Neapolitan and Iconic Corso, do they have the similar history or are they a completely separate breed? Okay. Um, see, that is a real touchy subject. Okay. Now, I'm going to put my opinion mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. Okay. My opinion is they used to be the same breed at one point. It was just a breed known under many different names depending on the type. Now, if you look at today versus yesterday, they're completely two different breeds. And when I say yesterday, I'm talking 
70, 60, 50, 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll use 50, 60 years ago. They, they are not the same today as what they used to be back back in the uh, day before uh, the breeds became recognized. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an entire morphology that's completely different than what it used to be. Uh, the Neapolitan looks nothing like it used to in the historical documents. And there are only a few Neapolitan breeders out there that breed dry Neos that resemble the dogs in their truest form, which is the same thing as a Conning Corso mm-hmm. is supposed to look. It's basically a two-part answer. Yes and no. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, they were the same dog. Today, no, they're not. They're completely two different breeds, which is why you can use a DNA to show Neapolitan ancestry genetics in a dog today. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of historical documentation where people will call their dog a kind of depressed uh, Neapolitan Mastino or Mastino Neapolitano uh, or kind of Corso, you know, uh, those particular breeds because it had many different names. It really depended on the region you were from, the type of dog that you had. And at one point, it was basically just a type. Mm-hmm. Uh, in today's today's society, it no longer is just a type. There's cemented looks, cemented standards, etc. And what we're trying to do is keep some of the original standards and the way the dogs looked in type and phenotype and genotype and bring that back and prevent the entire morphology like what happened with the Neapolitan Mastiff. Because if you look over the generational period, like with the German Shepherd, if you line up the Neapolitan Mastiff in a, in a genealogical uh, or chronicalization in phenotype from 1965 all the way to present, they're completely two different dogs. I'd rather have somebody honest about what they're doing and say, okay, we're going to develop a new breed and call it a new breed, and these are the breeds that we put into this to mm-hmm. develop this new breed. Mm-hmm. Versus say, no, this dog is kind of depressive when it could just very well be a Rottweiler hybrid. Right. Right. Um, you know, to, to me, that's that's where I think it brings a lot of odds with the rest of the registries out there in club breed clubs because they don't know how to solve this situation. And when an individual like myself brings a proposal to the table on how to properly solve this, uh, control the population, control the, uh, uh, the breedability of the dogs, it... Uh, makes everybody scream back and say, no, we don't want to do this because they stand to lose money. Mm-hmm. And to me, to me, that's where the ultimate downfall of the breed has, has literally become a money factor. If you don't pay big money for your dog, you're considered a shit breeder. Mm-hmm. A lot of these individuals out there will coin the term backyard breeder agreement um, will coin the term backyard breeder but yet they themselves are a backyard breeder because by definition 
you were considered a, a, and I'm not saying you specifically, I'm saying you as in general, as a general populace of anyone that breeds any type of dog or animal, period. If you do not possess the necessary USDA documentation for legal sale of livestock, and the USDA considers dogs, cats, rabbits, horses, pigs, cows, sheep, uh, part of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. You have, they have strict requirements. You have to have a shelter, a separate shelter from your home that has the capabilities of heat, electricity, and running water. That is the, the proper requirements to get that USDA certification mm-hmm. for license of, uh, of live, uh, to, for the sale of livestock. And if you don't have that proper documentation and the proper facilities, you're just a glorified backyard breeder. Right. It doesn't matter if you health test, you you do this or you do that. If you don't have these requirements, you're no different than than an individual in his backyard putting a couple of dogs together. You're no different. Okay. And a lot of these high-end breeders have a big issue with some of these uh, small, smaller time breeders because that pro- provides a competition for them where they could potentially lose money mm-hmm. and better dogs are being put out you know and that's that's to me that's the, that's what I look for I look at, at their productions over a time period and if their productions are, are much better than what they were when they started to me, that says, hey, look, you know, this breeder could be the reputable kind of breeder. And that's when I, I further my research on that. Mm-hmm. Goes back to the original question, what is the TCCR? We're a registry that's going to force our buyers to actually do their proper research and do actual good for the breed versus, hey, look, you know, I bought these two dogs. I've got papers on them and I want to put them together and they've never done any genetics testing on them. They've never done any health testing. They've never done this or that. They don't because my number one priority is not confirmation. My number one priority is temperament and brains, mm-hmm. which is should be the ultimate goal of any breeder is they should put temperament brains, then confirmation. And then you got your, your colors. You know, last thing you, any, anybody should ever wor- worry about is color. Mm-hmm. They should be focusing on three key factors of any breed of dog, period. Brains, temperament, and quality. Mm-hmm. You know, and when I say quality, I'm talking confirmation. They got they got good good hips and elbows, etc. You know, they got a good good stackable figure. You know, they look decent when they, they line up naturally. They don't look disfigured. You know, I don't mind a dog that's slightly hockey or a little easty-westy on the front end. To me, that uh, I like a dog better that's a little bit like that. But that's my personal preference. Mm-hmm. I don't... It, I've got dogs that are straight on. You know, full-on straight-on confirmation. They would pass a confirmation ring any day of the week. You know. But... If you take a look at that dog in comparison to uh, one of my females that's slightly easty-westy on the front... Uh, very slightly. It's not an exaggerated amount. And same with the hockiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're slightly hockey on the rear. Believe it or not, that dog B 
that's slightly hockey and slightly easty westy is twenty times faster than my fully confir- confirmation wise talk. Mm-hmm. She's got more flexibility in her spine than nail A. So to me, I look for all of that because another historical trait, which stems back to one of your previous questions, is the dogs are supposed to have a cat-like movement. Mm-hmm. And if you take a look at some of these ring runners, they're very stiff in the back. They got a straight flat back. They're very stiff. And when they run, they don't fluidly extend themselves. I mean, it's like you're taking a hinge versus a fluid movement. Uh, if anybody watches uh, a greyhound's movement, that is supposed to be the same movement a corso is supposed to have when they're running. Not this uh, hinge movement where it's just up and down, up and down, up and down. There's supposed to be a fluid movement from the head all the way down to the tail. You see every muscle movement. You see there's good extension and flexibility within the spinal column. Uh, to me, that's a, that's an appropriate corso with that kind of movement. Mm-hmm. 